Find the life you didn't think was possible with the Jesus you never knew. Together, let's slow down a little and pay better attention to the most significant person in history. Welcome to the podcast, Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus, with your host, Rick Lawrence, brought to you by Lifetree. Visit us at JesusCenteredLife.com. Hi, listeners. This is Season 6, Episode 30 of Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus. My name is Rick. I'm author of more books than I realize I've written, (laughs) if that makes any sense. I've been writing books for a while. The latest one is called The Suicide Solution. That was just released about a month ago-ish, month and a half, something like that. It's a book about anxiety, depression, and suicide and what Jesus uh, can do to intervene in the downward slide toward those things. Uh, so it combines clinical research and practice with the practice of Jesus. And I wrote it with my co-author, Dr. Daniel Amina of the Amen Clinics. So if you know someone or you yourself uh, would like to take a deeper dive into what I might call holistic living, a way of living modeled by Jesus and taught by Jesus that keeps anxiety and depression at bay, uh, this is the book for you. If you're nervous about reading a book that has the word suicide in it, just put you know a brown paper uh, cover over it and read it anyway. <laughs> but I encourage you to head over to uh, uh, Amazon and, and take a look inside the book if you want. Uh, when you go to Amazon, you can look inside, you can uh, read the intro, you can skip around inside and sample it and uh, see how it see how it hits you. It's also about a year since I released the Jesus Centered Daily, which is a, a daily devotional, each one a creative way of uh, coming to embrace the beauty of Jesus, along with some special ways of engaging that particular day's devotional message through prayer, experience, and questions uh, that will help you to uh, chew on a, a different aspect of Jesus every day. So that's called the Jesus Center Daily. It's a great thing to give for Christmas. So uh, again, head on over to Amazon if you're looking for that. So um, we're in the middle of an ongoing um, series. I guess you can't even call it a series if I don't know where the end of this is going to be. But we're exploring Jesus in the real world. And this is the fifth episode in that ongoing focus. We're simply pursuing the heart of Jesus as we always have, but through the lens of something going on in the world right now. So we're trying to use um, the present, our, our present life and all of the many things that we get engaged with in our present life like a lens to, to look at Jesus. And today's episode is titled Snakes and Stones. We'll get to that later, why that's such a strange title, but um, Snakes and Stones, that's today. So it's the holiday season. Uh, we make lists of gifts and we receive, uh, we, we, you know, we we get lists from others about what they want and we give them lists of things we want in my house. Um, the, there's one person who will go nameless in our, in my household who is quite uh, detailed and invested in their list. They start their lists like, you know, halfway through the year looking forward to the release of the list as if it was a release of a new movie in December. So, uh, we get lists and we make lists. And if you think about it, um, when you make up a gift list and you give it to someone, it's it can be a vulnerable thing. It's, it's essentially saying, here are the things that I want. 
will you get them for me? <laughs> and there can be a lot riding on how people respond to our list. And when we're thinking about someone's list and, and you're looking it over and you realize there's some things on that list I'm just not going to get, or I can't gift, or it's too expensive, or I don't want to get that for them. What do we have to deal with when that happens? We have to deal with our expectation that we're going to dis disappoint someone we love. I'd say the giving of gifts at Christmas time is fraught with some tension because we don't want to disappoint someone we love. Um, the gift then becomes an extension of our, of our willingness to love and to sacrifice and to express uh, how much the person means to us. And we don't want to fall short in that. So, uh, you know, in my household, uh, when growing up as a kid, nobody ever knew exactly what kind of gift they were getting. So when we opened our Christmas gifts, when I was a kid, it was always a surprise. But in my, my family now, um, like I said before, there's, there's much more detail in the lists that my wife and I get from our two girls as far as what kinds of gifts they would like. And um, I've always felt this kind of interior pushback that I don't want to just get only things that are on their list because then they have nothing to be surprised by at Christmas, right? They've already asked for it. They already know it. All I'm doing is being a middleman for buying it for them. <laughs> so I've always uh, held on to this idea that it's important to study my kids, study my wife, and give them gifts that I think they would like. And um, I have stubbornly refused to, to um, refrain from giving my wife and my girls gifts of clothing, even though it's fraught with great uh, difficulty and is sure to lead to disappointment. But I, I, it's like a holy quest <laughs> to buy my wife and my girls clothes. So you not only have to make sure it's the right size, but it's, the, it's their style that even if it's not something they've ever seen or wanted before, that when they see it, they love it because it somehow fits them. So this has always been something that I've tried to do with the girls in my family. And um, I've had to learn over the years that I have to think like a, a, a major league baseball batter, you know, uh, the batter, a really good batter, really good player is going to hit uh, 300, right? That's about every third time they're up, they get a hit. Well, um, my, my batting average is lower than that. So I've had to learn to, to uh, think of myself as a 175 batter and that that's pretty good if that's what I'm batting. But it also means you have to manage your own disappointment when, that, when those people, they open the gift and they say, eh, they're polite, but they're, eh, I don't know about this. Why don't you go try it on? And they try it on. Eh, I still don't know about this. That is a common experience for me. Um, and, and the hardest aspect of that is feeling like the choice that you made is a disappointment. Um, and then you have to, you have to consider, um, well, is my expectation that I could find such a thing legitimate or are the requests that that we get sometimes for things legitimate. Um, what should be ignored? And should I just make my life easier and not try 
to buy my girls gifts of clothing because it's so difficult to do that. Um, I've mostly given up on that, but I still retain the right to find things that I think through copious study have a very good chance of being accepted. Well, how is this list experience that the creating of a list and asking for things, how is that like or unlike prayer? I mean, does, does God have to consider whether or not our requests are legitimate? And if so, well, what sort of standard does he use to, to legitimize our requests? You know, the, this, this then gets into a deeper level of vulnerability, doesn't it? It gets into the things that actually shipwreck our faith sometimes where we ask God for things and he doesn't seem to come through. And then we're disillusioned about how this whole thing is supposed to work. I mean, doesn't Jesus say to us over and over again, you don't have because you don't ask. And why don't you just keep knocking on the door until God answers. And so why is it when I knock on the door and I, and I do ask that I don't get what I'm, I'm wanting. And especially when that concerns something way beyond a Christmas gift, maybe a health issue or a relationship issue, and we get back what seems like silence from God, this becomes even more charged, right? So let me tell you a little story. Um, my wife, Bev, was in a, an eight-week women's group, and the purpose of the group was uh, there was just eight women in the group, and each night they met, each woman got a chance to share a part of their story that connected somehow to their calling as a mother, and so each one shared it, a, a story that they chose to share about their uh, life as a mother. And some of the stories were long and some of them were quite short. And then after the woman would tell their story, the rest of the women would ask questions and engage the person's story. And that was the bulk of the evening for these eight successive meetings. So that woman's story was really the only focus for that night. And the intent was to be honest about the real issues they face as mothers of mostly adult children. So one night, uh, one woman whose turn it was, um, who had previously shared with my wife that she really doesn't like the gospel of Matthew. Uh, I don't know how the gospel of Matthew came up, but she said she doesn't like it. She prefers the Old Testament in general. Um, so my wife came home one night and told me, that this woman had said this. And, and I thought, well, what must a person believe or what must their life experience have been that they prefer reading the Old Testament and really don't like the gospel of Matthew where Jesus is the centerpiece of it? Hmm, makes you think. So this, this night, uh, Bev, because of these kinds of interactions she had with this woman, she was eagerly awaiting what, how she might share her story. So on this night, this woman opened her Bible, and she read this statement from Jesus. It's from Matthew 7, verses 9 through 11. So somehow, maybe this is why she does not like the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, she read this from Matthew 7, 9 through 11. You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. 
So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? So after she read this, she closed her Bible and said simply, God has only given me snakes and stones in my life. And then that was it. She said nothing else. And then the woman there, women there had to figure out how to interact with her about all this. She just read this passage of Jesus speaking about, if you ask for a fish, you don't give them a snake. Um, if they ask for a loaf of bread, you don't give them a stone. Closes her Bible. God has only given me snakes and stones in my life. Of course, it created awkward silence and some women responded empathetically. Some women responded with additional questions, but there was clear electricity in the air. This woman had clearly felt deep disappointment in God and resentment even that Jesus would ever even say this because her life experience did not match the promise of Jesus. And I think this is a bigger issue than we'd like to admit in the lives of a lot of Christians. Many of them are living sort of functionally in an Old Testament mindset. So what, the way I would describe that is if you do good, you get good things from God. And if you do bad things, you get bad things from God. That's a, what I would call an aspect of an Old Testament mindset. An eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. Uh, you're rewarded if you do, do things well. You're punished if you don't. Some people are drawn to that sort of black and white uh, environment. Uh, and, and so for a person who adheres to that kind of environment, to take Jesus uh, at face value, at his word, if, if you ask me for a fish, I'm not going to give you a snake, then why do I have so many snake gifts in my life, Jesus? Why, if I wrote a list of things that I really long for, and it's a vulnerable list, why do you never give me anything on my list? Why? Are you stingy? Are you, are you bait and switch? Are you actually, um, do you enjoy seeing me suffer? Do you enjoy withholding from me? You can hear the resentment in that way of understanding your life. So you have to make sense of it somehow. If you've asked for a fish and you got a snake instead, you have to try to understand the dissonance of that and you have to put meaning to it. So for most people, most of the time, this theme in their life leads to some an interior narrative that goes something like this. It seems like I've asked for a fish and bread a lot in my life, but I have a history of getting snakes and stones. Okay, now what do you do with that? Um, you can try harder to be better, to be worthy of getting the fish and the bread instead of the snakes and the stones to be worthier and worthier. Um, that doesn't seem to work either. So it ramps up the pressure. Maybe it ramps it up so much that you get to the place where you tell your story to a bunch of women in a group and you read the passage that Jesus or Jesus speaks about this and you close the Bible and say, all I've ever gotten is snakes and stones. It's a resignation. Now, one thing to remember that this passage is preceded by a very well-known certainty that Jesus gives us. This is from Matthew 7, 7 through 8. He says, keep on asking and you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you'll find. 
keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives and everyone who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. There's a lot of everyone's in here um, and you wills in here. And uh, it gives us this sense of a black and white environment that if we simply ask, we will get. And on the surface, that's exactly what Jesus seems to be saying. So let's step back for a second. How confident do you feel in asking for bread and getting bread from God? or knocking on God's door and having it open for you. If you had to think for a second on a continuum from one to 10, where do you stand? One being not confident at all. If I ask for bread, I'll get bread. And 10 being very confident. If I ask for bread, I'll get bread. Where do you stand on that continuum? Where are you at? Are you towards the one end of the spectrum or the 10 end of the spectrum? Well, some of this has to do in part with how uh, honest we are about our own story and how much we're willing to admit our own pain um, and our own broken expectations. Um, and some of us feel like we've lived kind of a charmed life that pretty much everything we want from God, we've gotten. And these stories of snakes and stones don't make much sense to us. And maybe some of us in that place often think as well, uh, secretly, of course, deep down, we would never say it out loud. I wonder what that person's doing wrong. Because if they were doing things right, why wouldn't they experience the sort of bread and fish that I have in my life? Now, we don't, we, like I said, we wouldn't like to admit it, but you know, just as Job's friends wondered what he might have done wrong to deserve such treatment from God, um, we do the same thing, even though, um, as I said, we rarely admit it. But have you asked for a fish and gotten a snake in your life? Uh, I want you to just pause for a second and think about the last time you asked for a fish in your life, but what you got back was definitely not a fish. It felt more like a snake. Just think of a time when that might have been true for you. I'm just going to pause for a second. Hmm. So maybe it happens more often than we are willing to admit in some ways, huh? It's obvious to me that we can all relate in some way to what that woman in, in my wife's women's group was trying to share, even if we wouldn't do it in such a visceral and angry way. Um, we can all connect to it somehow. So let's dive back into what Jesus said and why he said it. That's, that, that's what we call a mud puddle. So for those of you who have been listening for a long time to this podcast, you know what a mud puddle is. But if you're new, a mud puddle is my metaphoric way of describing what we do when we come to something that Jesus says or does that doesn't make immediate sense to us. It doesn't make sense in our own context of life or just as un ununderstandable for us. So what adults do when they come up to a mud puddle is they jump over it. But children, when they come up to a mud puddle, they might just as well jump into it and splash around in there. And so Jesus invites us to become like little children if we want to understand the kingdom of God. So when we come up to a mud puddle, a difficult thing that Jesus said or did, or something that doesn't seem to connect or resonate with our everyday life, 
instead of jumping over it and saying, oh, well, there's Jesus for you, we stop, slow down, and we jump into the puddle. So that's what we're going to do now. This snakes and stones passage is a mud puddle. So let's, let's uh, slow down and try to understand what's happening here. But in the way we're going to do this is use, we're going to use something the Apostle Paul wrote to the followers of Jesus in Galatia. And we're going to use it as sort of an echoing voice. So um, I'm going to read the passage again, uh, where Jesus speaks about snakes and stones. And then immediately after that, I'm going to read something that Paul wrote in Galatians 5, as sort of an echo to what Jesus is saying. And then here's the questions I want you to think about um, as I'm reading these two passages. The first one is, why is it that we sometimes feel like we ask God for a fish and we get a snake instead? Why is it? What are all the possible answers to this question that you can come up with? And then the second question is, what is Jesus trying to communicate about his heart? What is Jesus trying to communicate about his heart? Let's read. First, Jesus in Matthew 7. You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? And now Paul's echoing response from Galatians 3, 23 35, through 25 and Galatians 5, 1 through 6, pieced together here. Before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, so this is the Old Testament mindset, right? Before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. Whoa, this is in the Bible. <laughs> By the way, if it sounds like, I don't know if I've ever read that, that's in Galatians 3. And then he continues in Galatians 5. Galatians 5. So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you are counting on circumcision to make you right with God, circumcision here is a stand-in for um, doing the right thing so that you're made right with God, um, doing what you're supposed to do to maintain good standing with God. So here Paul is saying one aspect of the law, circumcision, if you're depending on you following the law to make yourself right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. I'll say it again. If you're trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. What is he saying here? Is he saying, if you're trying to find right standing with God by uh, doing everything right, so that uh, doing everything good, so that you get good from him, you better do it all. Because if you miss even one thing, 
you're falling short. And, and is that realistic? Will you be able to obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses? That's what Paul is saying. Here he picks up again. For if you are trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. But we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive faith uh, by faith the righteousness God has promised to us. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there's no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. He's saying, by extension, when we place our faith in Christ, there's really no ultimate benefit in us following and completing every aspect of the law. There's no benefit to us. It doesn't mean it is not beneficial in our lives, but if our quest is to be in right standing with God, there's no benefit in doing those things. We get right standing with God another way through our faith in, in Jesus is what he's saying. And he concludes with this. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. So Paul is saying, instead of treating the law as something, as a bunch of things we have to be good at in order to be acceptable to God, um, instead of treating the law that way, instead, we trust Jesus to make us uh, able to be in right standing with God. And the reason that we follow the law in our life is because of our love for him. It's not to get something, it's to give something. Let me say that again. The way in which we follow the underpinnings of the law in our life as New Covenant, New Testament, Jesus following people is not to get something from God. It's to give something to him in the same way that you uh, pay attention to the people you love in life and you're motivated to give them what they need or what they long for. Go back to um, the way that we think about gift giving at Christmas. The reason there's so much fraught emotion around this at times is because we really want with all our heart to give the people we love exactly the thing that they're, they're looking for. Um, that the gift of that is an extension of our um, love and respect and uh, value of the person. So we naturally want to give them what they want because of our love for them. And that's what Paul is saying switches and flips for those of us who follow Jesus. We're no longer paying attention to the law for the ways that it can make, make us righteous <clears throat> or feel good about ourselves. We're no longer doing that because we've recognized that's not possible, that only faith in Jesus gives us that. And then our motivation for following the law really is, is gift giving. It's the gift we give to him. So I said the two questions we're pursuing here are why is it that we sometimes feel like we ask God for a fish and we get a snake instead? And then what is Jesus trying to communicate about his heart? Here's some thoughts. So let's first um, pursue something that's uncomfortable for us, which is we sometimes ask God for a fish and we get a snake instead, and we feel like we've deserved that fish. And therefore our expectation of deserving the fish 
makes us even more resentful for getting the snake. And caught up in that is a, a sense of entitlement that we somehow deserve the fish. And after all, just didn't Jesus tell us to ask for the fish? And why shouldn't we feel like we deserve the fish if we ask for the fish? But this sneaking um, entitlement can slither in like an actual snake um, and bite us. Uh, and inside, when we get the snake, we're saying to ourselves, well, that's not what I deserve. Somehow this is in real tension and conflict with a mindset of humility. So entitlement says, I can ultimately trust myself to get what I want. So I've asked and I, and I believe what I've asked for, I should get. And when I don't get it, he hasn't fulfilled his end of the bargain. Whereas uh, a humble mindset means that we, that we almost close our eyes and hold our hands out to God. We trust him to put in our hands, whatever he wants, because our trust in him is not based on ultimately our assessment of what we've asked for and whether or not we should get it. Our trust is based on how we've experienced his good and giving heart. And so if he chooses to put something else in our hands, that isn't what we asked for, that we somehow feel uh, at peace with what's been placed in our hands. Um, not that we understand in the moment why it is that we've gotten something we didn't ask for. Not that we understand that, but that we have tasted and experienced the heart of Jesus. We know that behind the heart of a father who gives a loaf of bread and not a stone or gives a fish and not a snake is the generosity of that father's heart. What Jesus is really speaking to here is less about the specifics of what we've asked for and more about the heart mentality that we think of when we think of him. He's really saying, look, do you think that I'm the, the way that my heart works is that if you ask for things, I'm just looking for ways to give you the opposite. Do you think that's how my heart works? It's not how my heart works. Even your own sinful fathers and mothers, um, they're not like that. They're not plotting to disappoint you. So uh, that, that's another way of saying it. They're not rubbing their hands and thinking, oh, now that I know what they want, how can I go about disappointing them? This is what Jesus is trying to say. He's trying to say that the way that you engage me about the things that you ask for and need, um, sometimes the way you engage me about those things shows that your expectation of me is that I'm to be feared because my heart is really the sort of heart that is looking to prank you, especially when it's more, when it's painful. I'm just waiting to give you what you don't want. Um, that's your mindset. It may, you might not be able to uh, functionally say that out loud, that that's what I believe, but by our actions, we show that that's what we believe. Um, and so we look for formulas and recipes. If I say it this way and do it this way, I should be able to get what I want. And the reason I don't have what I want is because I just didn't do it the right way. I got to do it the right way the next time. 
because we just got to pry away from that stingy, mean-spirited God what he doesn't really want to give me. So if I, if I find the right leverage, I can get that thing out of his hands that I really want in the end because he really doesn't want to give it to me. He's that stingy, right? So this is, by the way, let me throw this out. This is an uncomfortable truth too. In our culture today, I find it very uncomfortable uh, that I'm often hearing Christians in the public eye talk about their rights. Uh, I have a right to this. I have a right to that. My rights are being violated. I'm afraid you're going to take away my rights. We have made our following of Jesus and the marker of that and the thing that we will defend the rights that we deserve. And if you're going to take away the rights that I deserve, I'm going to fight you over that. Well, uh, the only possible way that we develop that mindset is if we have embedded an entitlement mentality deep in our soul, where we think wrongly, deceptively, that we deserve certain things. Maybe it's because of our constitution that says um, all men are created equal and, you know, go on from there, <laughs> that, that we deserve certain inalienable rights. So I just want to remind you that that's language in the constitution, a secular document, and it's not the gospel of Jesus. It doesn't mean that those things aren't correct, that we want to live in a society that defends rights, the, the human rights of people, the rights to freedom of people. This does reflect Jesus's own passion over our freedom, but we've sort of spun it into something that um, is on a scriptural level, I would say. So that then leads to us demanding our rights, um, demanding our freedom, because that's what we deserve. And that mentality works against humility. Um, that mentality leads us to say, I can do what I want. I have faith in myself more than anything else. And if I've been denied a right that is my divine right, then I'm going to fight for it. Um, so th this question, why is it we sometimes feel like we ask God for a fish and we get a snake instead? Well, I think that's a, a, common, a common feeling. It's just a human feeling for the disappointment and discouragement we feel with life's disappointments and discouragements. But what Jesus is really trying to get at here is, will you trust my heart? Remember the last words of Paul in Galatians 5. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. What that means is, what is the faith in? It's faith in the heart of Jesus. How is that faith expressed? It's expressed in love. Not in the demanding of our rights, but in the understanding the wonder and beauty of Jesus. And out of that, we express our love. And out of that, we close our eyes and hold our hands out. And we trust whatever he puts in it, even if it's not what we thought we wanted. <clears throat> even if we don't understand what he's put in our hands for years. And it's only later that we understand the giftness of that. Um, even if we, if, we, if we can't think of a possible reason why that thing he's placed in our hands is good. 
one, one little side note here too. Um, not everything that's placed into your hands was placed there by Jesus, by the way. Just want to throw that out as a side note. So the second question I said uh, relative to this echoing conversation between Jesus and Paul is what is Jesus trying to communicate about his heart? Well, I think, um, of course, what, what he's saying in his snakes and stones statement everything hinges on what a good gift is, isn't it? If you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? So who's deciding what the good gift is? Is it ultimately our understanding of what is good or Jesus's understanding of what is good? Remember when the rich young ruler approached Jesus and he addressed him as good teacher. And then he made his request. And Jesus stops him and says, who are you calling good? Only God is good. So Jesus is not trying to lord it over this man. He's just trying to tell him the truth. That the standard for goodness rests in the heart of God. That deeply good um, is, is only defined by God. Because as broken, sinful human beings... Our definitions of good is sometimes true and sometimes not. We often will only define good by things that are good in the short term, and we hardly ever define things that are good that are only good in the long term. How much more patient would someone who loves us and knows that our long-term good is more important than our short-term good, how much more uh, grand and deep and powerful is the love of a God who will give us a long-term good, sacrificing our disappointment and discouragement in the short term. I think that takes remarkable love and remarkable patience. So the question really does hinge here on what, what does good gifts mean and who gets to decide what is good? It's not that we have no taste for what is good. Of course we do. But in humility, if what we say is, though I can't think of a way that this could be good, I know the goodness of, in Jesus's heart, so I accept what he places in my hands and trust him to show me the goodness of it. Um, this idea, this remembrance that only God is good <clears throat> may allow us to see the snake that we've been given as a fish later on, maybe much later on. Many of us, if I asked you right now to tell me a story of a snake that you were given that really turned out to be a fish, we would have stories. And these are stories that changed our life in some way. These are stories that our life pivots around. That thing that I thought was a snake it actually now, 20 years later, I see what a fish it was. Oh my gosh, Jesus had to put up with so much of my doubt and anger and resentment and complaint for all those years because I saw what he was giving me was only a snake and it's turned out in truth to be a fish. Does that help us in the moment? Nope, still looks like a snake to me. So we can't um, do mental gymnastics to get our way around this. What we can do 
is come back to sure looks like a snake to me, Jesus, but I so trust your heart. I know you define goodness, and I know that you only give good gifts. I have no idea why this thing that sits in my hands now is good, but I know you are good. So I'm choosing now to trust in your goodness more than my understanding of the snake in my hands. That takes courage. But this is exactly where Jesus wants us, wants us to get to. This is what it means to mature in him. And it will take a lifetime for us to do this. This is not a flipping of the switch. It is an experience of him and a taste of him that allows us to trust in the goodness of his heart more than the circumstances of our life and therefore gives us peace and helps us to access whatever goodness is in that snake, <laughs> helps us perhaps to see it as a fish. So uh, Jesus encourages us to ask like children for good things. He wants us to. The fact that we don't always know what is good should not keep us or withhold us from asking anyway. As long as we have a posture of humility as we ask and in a, in a sense in our, in our own soul that what I'm asking for seems good to me, but I know Jesus is the final determiner of what is good. And because of that, I'll receive what he gives me. There you have it. The next time you're in church and it's communion time, just remember that Jesus asked us to ingest him like bread because he wants us to eat his goodness. And in a way, this act of communion is our protest of beauty in the world. It is saying, I'll ingest the goodness of Jesus and let it become part of me, even if the, my life circumstances don't uh, undergird that this thing is good in my life. Even if the circumstances of my life don't seem good, I'm still going to ingest him as good because I know by tasting him that he is goodness itself. Well, there you have it. This is, again, paying ridiculous attention to Jesus. This is season six, episode 30. You can head on over to SoundCloud if that's where you're listening to this. And and uh, you, you'll, you'll see the, the episode description there with uh, links that are helpful. Uh, don't forget, if you want to join the pigs, this community of people who uh, are kindred spirits around their hunger for Jesus, um, there's a link there on that page to join the pigs if you'd like. And um, you can subscribe to this podcast to make sure you don't miss any episodes on Google Play or iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And we will see you again in the next episode.